Oh, Lord, what a glorious day that indeed will be, and we so look forward to that. Even now, Lord, we say, come, Lord Jesus, with the world around us seeming to just be spinning out of control, Lord, it is so good to know that you are in complete control. You are still on the throne today and always will be. King of kings and Lord of lords, and again, Lord, we so look forward to your coming. In the meantime, Lord, we ask that you just bless us, that you continue to draw us closer to you. I ask now that you bless our time in your word, that uh, we would truly be blessed this evening together, hearing from you and studying your word and, and uh, becoming more and more like you is our prayer, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. If you guys, real quickly, why don't you stand up, welcome those around you here, and get out your Bibles. take out your Bibles and open them up with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8. We're going to try something a little new tonight. I'm going to see if I can stay seated. There's an over-under back in the media booth. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Genesis we're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 9 tonight, but I want to get started. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a running start at it, finish up at the end of, or start at the end of uh, chapter 7. If you remember a couple of weeks ago now, last week we had the Hallelujah Party. What a great time that was. Blessed, really reached a lot of people in our community. Be praying for those tracks that went out. A lot of families got uh, the gospel message sent home in a little kids uh, candy bags, and hopefully they're getting to the bottom of those bags now where the gospel tracks are. So, uh, But uh, uh, we finished, uh, we started talking about uh, Noah and, uh, and the ark and the flood last time. So let's, let's begin our study tonight, Genesis chapter 7, starting in verse 17. It says, Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits, that's over 20 feet taller than the, the mountains, and all of them were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarmed upon the earth and all mankind." Of all that was on dry land, all, that, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. I start there tonight again to remind us that this is not a localized flood that some people try to point out. This is a worldwide catastrophic flood wiping out every living thing. Over 20 feet taller than the highest peaks at the time, the water flooded. And we see in verse 24, it says, the water prevailed upon the earth 
150 days. This is this part of the story that I want to just kind of talk about a little bit right now. Again, this is, this is, this is real people. Noah and his family, real people, the real events. This really happened. And though we're not told about the intricacies and the day-to-day life that happened on the ark, let's just think about it for a second. We're talking the, the, a long, long time, no electricity, no, no modern-day things. Somebody had sent me a... Um, a picture of people have tried to recreate Noah's Ark and they've turned it into a really nice thing, you know, big, huge, the size is all, all there and tried to, so you can get this, the idea of how vast the, the Ark is, but they have it turned into a really nice dining hall upstairs, you know, looking out and you can actually, it's a hotel that you can stay in and they showed some of the rooms, you know, I'm thinking they, they missed the point a little bit on that. This was, it was, it was dark. They were alone. All the rest of everything else has been blotted out from the earth. They were there for a long time. It tells us here the first time that we get, it rained for 40 days, but the water prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Five months. That, that, that they've been floating around for five months at the point where we are here. Turbulent, bobbing, bouncing up and down constantly in the waves as it's going. Now, I can imagine, obviously, with all of the animals that they had, there was a lot of work to do, but that's getting pretty monotonous, I'm guessing, after five months of cleaning up the mess and feeding and moving through and doing all of that. And I say that to get started here tonight as we start moving into the chapter 8, because we all go through these difficult times, storms in our life, if you would, trials and difficulties, and it's easy for us to feel all alone, like they did, I'm sure. It's easy to feel like we're in a dark place, that we've been forgotten or abandoned. Even that we'll feel that our situation is unique, whereas the Bible clearly tells us ours isn't. Noah's was. (laughs) Their situation was unique, but ours isn't. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, because before we move off of this point, the enemy loves to pick at us in these areas and poke at us in these areas and tell us that we are alone in these things. Or if we're feeling uh, discouraged, if you would, or, or in those places where we feel forsaken, he likes to say, well, you call yourself a Christian? You're never, you're, you remember, Jesus said you should never be, be anxious. It can't add a, a minute to your life. You call yourself this? And we can feel like, okay, we could start getting into that point where I'm, I'm the only one who feels this way. I shouldn't feel this way, and I'm alone even in my feelings. And again, the enemy likes to poke at that. Psalm 77, though, and this is throughout the Psalms. This is just one that I was reading today, and it's just the, the same type of thing that comes across. Look at verse, starting in verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever, and will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever, and has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel that way? That Where are you, Lord? Did did you forget about me? Did did you forget that that I'm going through this difficulty, this trial, this this thing? Are you so mad at me that you've pulled away your hand of compassion? Then I said it was my grief, verse 10, that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Do you ever feel that way? God has changed. In my situation, in my, for me, you might be the same for everybody else, but not for me. 
Well, verse 11, I love this because this kind of gives me that, that thing. This is a common theme throughout the Psalms. David went through this. This is a Psalm isn't written by David, but by someone else. That we're going to go through these difficulties, these trials, it's, and it's okay to have these feelings as long as you don't stay there. Because the psalmist stayed there for a total of, you know, 10 verses. And he goes in verse 11, he says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. And that's where we always need to go when we're in those situations, to remember what he's done for us. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have your power redeemed. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. When you're in those situations, when you feel that desperation, that aloneness, even forsaken or abandoned, go to God's word. Remember what he's done. Remember those times when he's come through again and again, reading about these situations. That's what one of the things I just when you're going through and studying through a story like this, again, try to put yourself in there. Again, they've been here now five months alone. It's quiet. It's dark. Feeling abandoned. Remember, God's word tells us that no trial that we face, nothing that we face, is anything that is accepted as common to man. Others are going through this. 1 Peter 5.9 tells us this. Again, the enemy's going to try to tell you, you're alone. God's abandoned you. You're alone in this situation. 1 Peter 5.9 says, but resist him. Resist the enemy, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You're not in a unique situation. Others are in there too. And you know what? It's not like this morbid sense of misery loves company. That's not why Peter wrote this. He's like, others are going through it with, with you. So pray for them. And they're praying for you. Pray for one another as brethren, bear, bearing one another's burdens. Jesus said when we do that, we fulfill his law. Now, also in those quiet times, we can at times feel like, you know, we're not, we're not hearing from the Lord. Where are you, God? Again, there is no record, and we're going to see this here in just a moment as we go through this, that there's no record that God talked to Noah for over a year while they're in the ark. It's never recorded. Have you been in those times where you're crying out to the Lord and you just feel like, man, he's not, he's not answering me. I don't doubt that he hears me. His word tells me he does, but he's not answering me. Hear me here. We all wish, every one of us in this room, wish that we heard from God more clearly, more often. All of us do. And we need to make sure that the reason we're not hearing from him isn't because of something in our lives, if it's not sin in our lives and things that we need to address. Maybe our, we're just too busy, we have too many things going on, we've been watching way too much coverage of the pre-election and the polls and all that kind of stuff to hear from God. We've got to make sure that we, are, we have that channel open to hear from him. It tells us in his word, he often speaks to us in that still small voice. So we need to make sure of that. But then we also need to understand that there are times when God's just silent. He's, he's, with, he's not speaking directly to us. And it's, again, the enemy's going to try to tell you that's because he doesn't love you. That's because he doesn't care. No, it's the exact opposite. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares. He's strengthening us. He's building our faith and having us rely on that hope in him. 
Silence doesn't mean that he's disinterested or that there's a lack of love. The enemy would love to convince us of that. And again, after 150 days, and we're going to see it goes much past that, God has not spoken to Noah that's recorded. But look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. God remembered Noah. Now, when we read this, at first glance, we could think that God remembered Noah. But please understand, it doesn't mean like he went, Noah! Oh, I told, Gabriel, I told you to remind me about Noah. That's not what it's saying. God remembered Noah. God continually was thinking about Noah. God was all, Noah was always on God's mind. This is what we call an anthropomorphism. That's a, just a big, long word that says we're, we're giving God a human aspect. We use that for a lot of things when we're talking about you know, things that aren't human, and we give them human aspects. That's what an anthropomorphism is. And that's what, we're, that's what the, the author who's writing this here is, is doing. He's describing a human aspect remembering to God. But God doesn't forget anything. God, God doesn't have what we have is what's called a memory. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything, all of it inclusive. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing happens that he didn't see coming, didn't know was going to happen. Trust me, last night he wasn't watching to see which states turned red or blue. He knew the outcome before. He has it all in his control. This really speaks more of the fact of, again, not a conscious in your mind remembering, but to act on behalf of, to fulfill a prior commitment is what I read today, one of the commentators saying, moving to fulfill a prior commitment, the action that's been put into place. Because we see that played out at the end of verse 2. It says, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. God started to act and move, and, and move to get things accomplished. Guess one other thing before we move off of this whole thing of remembering. A lot of times we, again, we try to give God this, we try to understand God's reaction in the way that we rem, re, think of things and remembering. We hear that, you know, in Jeremiah 31, 34, in Hebrews 10, 17, both saying the same thing. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And that's a great verse to hold on to as Christians because when we are, we are forgiven, our sins are forgiven, and he remembers they're charged to our account no more. Jesus took them to the cross. But it doesn't mean that God all of a sudden can't remember, you know, that it's gone from that. It means that it's been removed from our account. And that's an important aspect because we need to remember that as Christians. But also when we're dealing with other Christians... We, most of the times when we've been offended as a Christian, we need to forgive, you know, that whole thing, forgive and forget. We need to do that, but we struggle with the whole forgetting part because it's right here in our memory. And that's where, again, we need to understand what it's being said here. It's not that it no longer is in a memory, that it's been erased, that the whole event never happened, but we no longer count it against them. It's no longer held against them. And that's what we need to do. We need to understand that that's the way the Lord looks at us, and we need to put it in practice with others. Well, God remembers Noah. He remembers all the animals. He's, he's actively moving in what's happening on the ark. God never forgets or forsakes his people, ever. 
ever. We, again, never go out of his mind. He said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16 says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Again, that thought that can come to us. Can a woman forget her nursing child, God says, and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. And he says, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. What a beautiful picture that is of our Lord. The the scars that he bears in love for us. He can't forget about us because of his promises. First of all, with Noah, he promised back in chapter 6 that he was putting him in the ark to take care of him, to preserve him and his family. But he also can't forget and move away because of his character. He loves us. That's his very character. He is love. He's faithful. He's long-suffering. He is never-changing. Remember that yourself when you're going through difficult times and encourage others with that, that he loves you and will never forsake you. Okay, verse, verse one continues on, as I said, the God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Verse two, also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Again, here, five months into the the ordeal. Five months previously, if you look back at chapter 7, verse 11, that says, the fountains of the great deep burst open and the flood gates of the sky were open. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. So the canopy of rain opened up, starts raining. It's never rained before. Rains for 40 days and 40 nights says that the, the floodgates, or the, I'm sorry, the fountains of the great deep burst open. There was vast quantities of water under the, under the surface of the earth that then burst forward, burst forth in that. After 40 days, all of the rain had stopped, and God says here that the wind started blowing, and it started receding steadily, the water going away. The wind blowing, evaporating that. But also, then if you can imagine, the all of those underground water sources, after they come out, then collapsing down. And water rushing down into now these low spots that are there after the 40-day period. The evolutionists would like to tell you that the Grand Canyon and some of these other places were, were formed over billions and billions of years. Actually, it happened in a matter of minutes with the, with the rushing of water through there. The oceans, on average, are 14,000 feet deep. On average, are oceans. And the deepest spot, the Mariana Trench, is 6.8 miles deep in water. There is a lot. That's where all the water went. It, almost, a lot of it evaporated, but most of it ran down into the oceans. The water that was underneath the earth is now on top of the earth in the ocean. Verse 4, in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the earth, the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Again, 150 days after it started, five months, it comes to rest on Mount Ararat, one of the mountains in this mountain range in Ararat. That's in modern-day Turkey. Now, there have been many people going up there into those areas trying to find the ark. You've probably watched on documentaries from here from time to time on television talking about even taking pictures of and that type of stuff. There's 
a lot of evidence that, you know, in past that the ark was actually visited into the early, time of the early church. Uh, that ty- it, I don't believe personally that the ark will ever be found. I don't believe so. Just, again, my own opinion for whatever it's worth because God knows that if it ever was, it would be, the, the focus would all turn to that, the worship of that. Look at like the Shroud of Turin. That's a total hoax and a total fraud, and that's worshiped as though it was, you know, an absolute holy relic. And God, God doesn't take a back seat to anything. That's just my opinion. I don't believe the ark will ever be found. But it did come to rest on, the, on Mount Ararat. Verse 5, the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. This is 73 days later that they can look out now through the little crack that was in the top around the top, and they could see the tops of other mountains. 73 days later, after it came to rest. Then it came about the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window in the ark which he had made, and he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. But he put his hand out to her and brought her into the ark. So again, he sends out a raven first and it's flying all around. Why it didn't come back, I don't know. Maybe it because it was a, you know, it, ravens eat meat. Maybe it was landed on carcasses and it was fine floating around there. But the dove didn't have anywhere to land, so it came back. Verse 10, so he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Does anybody have an NIV Bible? I, 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 I read several different versions as I'm going through this, and I, uh, one thing I love about the NIV Bible in this, it says that when the dove came back and there was an olive leaf in her mouth, there was an exclamation point after that. I think that's good. Could you imagine? I mean, you've been in this thing now, you know, going on a year, and here, the, here this dove comes back, and there's evidence that the water's going away. they got to be just, like, beside themselves with excitement. I would be. I can't, I, I just, I can only imagine, we, we talked, Moses wrote the, old te- the, the first five books of the Old Testament, as we've talked about when we first started. But there is evidence that these, all of these stories were gathered together, and then Moses put them all together and compiled them all. So there's evidence that Noah and his sons wrote this account. And I can imagine that there was Hebrew exclamation points after that. There was, a, there was an olive leaf there. So the water's going away. Life is starting again. Verse 12 Then he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering from the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. So again, he lets the dove out again. This time it doesn't come back. And he's assuming that that's now because it's found a place that it can build a nest, and it can start its life outside of the ark. So he takes this covering. We don't know what that was, probably just a little hatch at the top, opens it up, pops his head out for the first time in almost a year, and he can see dry land, all around dry land. Now, I got to ask you this question here. If that was you in that situation, remember, you've been in the ark now 11 months, roughly. 
in the situation that we've tried to describe, and you pop it open and you see dry land everywhere, what are you doing? I am getting out right now, right? I'm, 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 I'm jumping out and getting there. Remember, they've been in there now over a year, or close to a year at this point. And I mean, th- that, that's a lot of togetherness with the family. You know, I, I'm thinking even on a cruise ship, I'm ready to get off. Much less where they were together. There was probably a little impatience. You know, I, I would imagine from time to time it got a little dicey there. But look at what it says in verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. That's 57 days later. 57 days after he popped the the hatch on the roof and looked out, God said, okay, now you can get out. Like I said, I'm thinking, I'm probably saying, Lord, I'm, I'm out of here. I can see dry land, I'm, I'm going. But 57 days later, Noah didn't move until the Lord finally spoke to him and said, okay, now is the time. Noah's faith is truly amazing. If we look back through all that we've talked about in the, these, these couple chapters talking about Noah, first of all, his faith was amazing because he walked with the Lord when it was unpopular. We think it's unpopular today to be a Christian, to follow the Lord. Noah and his family were the only ones in all of the earth. So he walked with the Lord when it was at its most unpopular time in history. He, he worked for the Lord when it was completely unfruitful. He worked diligently building an ark and sharing his faith, and he had not one single convert for over 100 years while he was doing this. Yet he continually did it. He tirelessly worked for the Lord when it was completely unfruitful, and he waited on the Lord when it was really, really uncomfortable. He waited on the Lord. What an amazing picture of faith we see in Noah. Now, Why did Noah send out the raven and send out the dove and do those things? We don't know. But I would imagine, again, just own curiosity. Again, you've been in the the ark. You've been resting now for a while. You can see the mountains now coming. And you want to get some information. What's it like out there? So you send them out. And you're gathering the information. It's not a problem. It's not a sin to get information. It's not a problem to do your due diligence, if you would. But... Proverbs 3, verses 5 five and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Get the information, get the data, but then trust in the Lord. You take that to Him in prayer. Don't lean on your own understanding. Go to Him. Now, verse 17 God continues with his command. Verse 16, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wife with you. Verse 17, bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. So they finally, God opens the door and they, they head out of the ark. And can you, can you imagine the sight here again? Just picture in your mind with me. Everything is different than when they went into the ark. 
There, there was a canopy of water that covered the earth, so when they see the sun, it looks differently. The sky looks completely different than it did before. How so? We don't know exactly, but it's definitely a different look. Mountains that weren't there before are there now because, again, all of these upheavals and everything that was going on uh, under the earth's crust and forcing all of these things, they weren't there before. There are no big trees and forests and everything everywhere. All of that's been destroyed, and there's little saplings and things starting to pop up and, and different things around, but the total topography's changed. And though most of the carcasses and all of that stuff would have been buried in the, in the soil as it resettled, and that's how we have all of the fossils and everything that we do today, there still has to be probably the landscape littered with, with carcasses. Just imagine what they walked out to. Everything is different. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and all day and night shall not cease. The first thing Noah does is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for, for rescuing him, for bringing them through this, this trial, this, this time. He doesn't look back. He doesn't ask God the question, why did you leave us in there those extra, you know, extra two, three months? Why did we have to go there? No. First thing he does is praise God for the deliverance. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for his holiness. And it's always a good thing to do that little check in our lives. What is the first thing that we do? I'd love to say that I do every time God gives me an answer, God comes through, God's, that my first reaction is to fall on my knees and give him praise and honor and glory. But I have to be honest, it's not always. I, hope, I wish it was. But that should be our reaction. It should be our reaction for every breath we take. We give him praise and glory. It says the Lord smelled. Again, one of those anthropomorphisms. God doesn't have a nose and he wasn't... It's talking again. We're giving, giving a human attribute to God. What it's meaning is that he was satisfied. That he accepted Noah's praise, his worship, his sacrifice. It was a soothing aroma, it says. That means it pleased him. It pleased God. We need to understand, though, that just like with us, it's not the sacrifice itself. It wasn't the fact that Noah took an animal, killed it, and put it on an altar and, and gave a burnt offering to the Lord that pleased God. It was Noah's heart that pleased God, his obedience that pleased God, his sacrifice. Think for a second here. Again, we're getting, getting off the ark, we're just unloading everything, and everything else is dead. And all I got left is these animals that God brought on the ark with me, most of which are already running away. The ones that I'm going to keep now for myself and try to you know, make a living from or, or live with, I'm going to take one of each of those and sacrifice them to God. Again, an amazing act of faith in my opinion. But it's not the sacrifice, again, that pleases God. It's not the, burnt, the, the killing of the animal and placing it on the altar. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 15, very clear on that fact. God says, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm sick of you bringing these types of offerings to me when your heart is so far from me. 
God doesn't care. Sacrifice and, and doing things for God with the wrong heart does no good to us or him. It doesn't bless us or him. All our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says. You know what struck me this today as I, as I typed that out? For the, the first time, I've, I've quoted that verse, I can't tell you how many times. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. The word our stuck out to me for the first time. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Do you know who wrote that? Isaiah. Isaiah included his works of righteousness in that filthy rag category. If Isaiah's works are filthy rags, how much more so mine? Isaiah was a righteous man. (laughs) Isaiah stood head and shoulders above anyone in his time, a prophet used by God, yet he himself said, even mine are like nothing, like filthy rags. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And it's not faith in faith. It's not just faith in anything. It's faith in Christ. Without faith in Christ, it is impossible to please God. The Father said, when he's talking of Jesus, he said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We have to place our, our faith in that Son in order to please the Father. When we do, though, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he was... And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we as ambassadors of Christ, as we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again here, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's not our actions. It's not our deeds. It's not our works. It's the righteousness of God in him when we place our trust in him, when we are in Christ. Well, moving on now, chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Essentially, starting all over again, just like we did a few weeks ago when we went through Genesis. When, when, what he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. They're having to, he's giving the same command here to Noah and his sons and their wives. Be fruitful and multiply. Have lots of kids. Children are a blessing. God says here, and God blessed Noah and said this, children are truly a blessing. But in those times, they were also a necessity. They needed, they needed to have kids in order to, to repopulate the earth, in order to do all of the work that needed to be done. And now, in our times, in the days that we live in, it's, it's a necessity not only to have children, but to raise godly children. I, I must confess, I did watch a lot of the coverage last night, and uh, reading some of the things this morning, and to hear how certain groups of people voted and and the the fact that the basically seemed like the morality of everything was totally thrown aside for for selfish things and this is you know i'm voting for this reason and this reason and very few did i ever hear that because of this is what i believe god wants this is i want to live a godly life and this is the culture that our kids today are being raised in and 
more and more, especially in the schools, it's unpopular to stand up for God, to, to, to be a Christian, to, to do things the right way. And that's why it's more and more of a necessity that we as Christians raise godly children. So if you're parents, that needs to be an absolute priority in your life. If you don't have children, you can still do something about it. Again, here's my shameless plug for our children's ministry here at the church. You can affect a child's life. You can raise godly children, even if you don't have children at home anymore, by serving in our children's ministry, helping them memorize Bible verses, encouraging them to to walk in a manner worthy of their calling as little Christians when they go to school, to share their faith with others at school. It's a tough, it's a tough world out there to be a kid. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go through school again right now. But you can, you can have an impact on kids today. Well, verse 2 says, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give it to you as I gave the green plant. Here we see that God lifts the ban on meat and man becomes meat eaters. Can you imagine Noah's first steak? And as he's cutting into that and they're eating that and he looks at his sons, you know, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and he's like, man, this is awesome. This is really good. And then they start looking at the other cows over there and the cows are like, hey, they never looked at us like that before, you know. (laughs) I can only imagine, you know, things were really comfortable on the boat. Now things aren't so comfortable anymore. (laughs) Anyway, they can... Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give it to you all as I gave the green plant. Verse 4, only you shall not uh, eat flesh with its life, that is the, its blood. Surely I will require your life blood from every beast. I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he, was, he, he made man talks about food, family in verse 1, food in verses 2 and 3 there. Here we talk about capital punishment, um, setting up again a little bit later on for government as it gets established. I can only think that part of the reason why God lays this out so early on is because with, you know, with the first family, as they started to be fruitful and multiply, remember what happened with Cain and Abel. And laying out the fact that there is punishment for crimes like this. And while crime punishment doesn't always detour crime, laws do stop some crime. You know, it's, it's important to have that. And while government does have its weakness, it's better than anarchy. So uh, it's important. God starts laying out the rules for government even here. Now verse 7, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply it. He says this again, I don't think he probably needed to repeat himself on that one, but he did. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the cattle and every beast on the earth with you, for all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. 
neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said this is the sign God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about that I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all the earth verse 16 when the bow is in the cloud then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth and God said to Noah this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth here we see the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God made with Noah and his descendants, we see in verse 9, but in, with, to all flesh, all living creatures, all successive generations, it says in verse 11 and 12. That means it comes to us as well today. Three times in these verses, he says, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. I can imagine again that Noah, when he gets out of the ark, this was a you know, kind of one of those in-your-face type of things. The reality of what had happened hits him. They've, they've been confined to the ark for a little over a year. They get out and they realize we are alone here. Everything else has been wiped out. Everything else is dead. And maybe there's that little bit of, you know, the thundercloud in the sky, you know, and it starts to rain again and that maybe a little panic. Do we need to get back in the boat? God says, you don't ever have to worry about that. I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. And it's an unconditional promise. There's nothing that Noah has to do to keep that promise going. When God makes a promise, we can count on it. We can, we can stand on it. There is a, uh, a story that's told Mark Twain. He and a friend were coming out of church one day and there was this horrible storm that it was just starting and the rain was just pouring and pouring and pouring and his friend says, I wonder if it's going to stop. And Mark Twain says, it always has. And God never said, the promise that we see here isn't that it won't rain. His promise isn't even that it won't rain hard. As a matter of fact, his word tells us that it's going to rain. Not just physically, not just water falling from the sky, but we will have trials and tribulations. We will have difficulties. We will have storms in our life. The Bible is very clear about that. Some of them are going to be very severe, and we're all going to go through them. But his promise is that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And it will end. The storms are going to come but they're all going to end, every one that comes. Turn with me real quickly as we close here. Isaiah chapter 43. God bless you. Isaiah 43. Verse 1. But now... Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. You are mine, he says. I will be with you. He doesn't say that the the rivers aren't going to be racing, but he says you will get through it. He doesn't say that the fire is not going to be hot, but he says you won't be scorched. Psalm 23, 4, we know it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, Lord. I... I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through the difficulties, but I'm not going to fear it because you're with me. You're with me. He gives us the sign here of this covenant, the rainbow, and I, I love the, the, just the, the picture of that, the multicolors, the, the, the beauty of it, the fact that it doesn't cost anything to see it, the fact that it's available to everyone. What a, what a beautiful thing that God chose as the thing to remind us of his faithfulness, of his covenant. How often do we forget it, though, when we look at it? We take it for granted. We drive by, we don't even notice it. We might even comment about that, but it's supposed to be there to remind us of his goodness, of his grace. I, I grew up in, in Colorado, and seeing the Rocky Mountains became something that I never, every day, no big deal. I miss them now. <laughs> but it just became something that was over there. And I just, I, I say that the problem is in Arizona, we don't get many rainbows. So when we see them, let's remember, let's remember that promise that he has, his grace, his goodness, never getting, getting tired of that. I like this though too. It says in verse 16, when the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it, God says to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. Again, not that God says, oh, like a little sticky note to remind him, yep, I made them that promise. But he's looking at it too. Kind of that cool thing. Next time you're looking at a rainbow, again, remember his covenant, and you say, all right, God, you're looking at that too, and that connection that we have with him. Well, real quickly as we, as we close, then we'll get out of here. Just a couple of last thoughts on the ark. Um, I think I had mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people look at the ark as a, and use that as a type of the church going through the tribulation period. Well, it's not. It's a type, if you want to use that analogy, of the Jewish people going through the tribulation, that, they're, that, that the world around them is going through that, but they're kept safe through the tribulation period. Because again, if, if you remember what, what we talked about, uh, the list of names, if there's a type in that for the Christian church, it's Enoch who walked with the Lord and then was no more, was taken up to heaven, raptured, if you would. That's the picture of the church. But there is a neat picture in the, of the ark with regards to our salvation. I got to imagine again, we talked about this last time, this, this ark, the, the size and the magnitude of it, it's perfectly built to carry cargo. But it wasn't designed for a smooth, comfortable ride. Again, it wasn't, they weren't safely set, fastened in. They didn't have these beautiful luxury suites that they were in. I got to imagine that, again, there was a lot of stumbling and tripping and falling down in the ark. Just like we do as we're walking through our, our Christian walk. There's going to be times when we stumble and trip and we, and we fall and, and we make a mess out of things. 
But you know what? Not one person that was in the ark, not one animal that was in the ark ever fell out of the ark. And though we might stumble and trip and, and, and make a mess of things and bump our heads and, and that type of stuff, we, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are secure in that. You can't fall out of that. You might stumble around and, and trip around and make a mess of things from time to time, but you can't fall out of his grace. He's got you in his hands. No safer place to be. Just as they were, there was no, there was no obviously, as we talked about, no safer place to be than in the ark through all of that. What an amazing God we have, amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for... Uh, just who you are. We thank you for this beautiful example of a man who loved you and trusted in you, had incredible faith that we see in Noah. Lord, let our faith be, be more like his, that, that we would walk with you even when it's unpopular, that we, would, that we would work with you and work for you even when we don't see fruit at times, and that we would wait on you even when it's uncomfortable at times. Lord, we do ask that you speak clearly to us and show us what you would have. But Lord, in those times of silence, Lord, build our faith, strengthen our faith. Lord, let us always remember that you are, that we are always on your mind, that you have never forgotten about us. Your word tells us that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we can stand firm in that. And Lord, we thank you for our salvation that is secure in you. That though we might stumble and, and fall down from time to time, we never fall out of your grace. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.